Hey fam, welcome or welcome back to the Millennial Crisis Podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Hey friends and welcome or welcome back to the Millennial Crisis Podcast. Emma runs a blog and Instagram account called The Broke Generation and she describes it as a resource for millennials who want to learn how to get financially fit, aligning money management with your best life. She has nearly 35k followers on Instagram and has been featured on Urban List, Mamma Mia and ABC Radio Melbourne. In this episode, we discuss Emma's journey to and how her life choices and personal growth influence her finances. Let's jump straight into episode 30 of the Millennial Crisis podcast, Side Hustles and Money Mindset with the Broke Generation. This is the Millennial Crisis by Demi Kotsouris, Wi-Fi not included. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for being on the Millennial Crisis podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me, being patient with my busy schedule. So we have the best excuse in the world for anything that happens in our lives for the next, what? Oh, I don't even want to count how many weeks left. Three and a half, I think. God. Hopefully it's a little bit of an end then, hey. I start off every podcast with a really boring question, just your name, your age, and what you do for work. My name's Emma, I'm 29, dangerously close to 30, and I am a content writer for a living. And you also have a blog called The Broke Generation, right, which I'm really excited to talk to you about and how it all kind of got started. But before that, I have introduced a new question into the podcast now. And the idea behind this question is that I wanted to test a bit of a theory. So you're going to be the first guinea pig in the theory. (laughs) (laughs) And the question is, when you were in high school, what did you tell people you wanted to do for your career? I don't know if I told people, but I knew that I wanted to be a waitress. (laughs) I kind of achieved that dream pretty young and then moved on to something else. But yeah, that was just always what I wanted to be. I think I was really naive and didn't realise that the world sucks and you can't just do that really for a decent living in most countries. I always wanted to do something creative as well, but I just loved waitressing so much. And I was just like, yeah, done. Just gonna be a waitress. Perfect. (laughs) I'm there. Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) that's the verse or the second part to the question is what were you actually interested in or what were those things that you thought you couldn't possibly achieve and so you didn't tell people I don't think I gave an awful lot of thought really to what I wanted to do I feel like that's probably testament to the major faults in like the way the high school happens because I don't really think that we were prompted to either really I always sort of low-key I was the worst at science out of all my subjects which really dinted my confidence quite a lot and I've always been fascinated by medicine and I like admire doctors and nurses so much but I was just like well I can't because I do I can't do biology because I don't have I only have a C in biology so I can't I think I have a D actually in biology um so I couldn't do that so that's probably the thing I may mainly suppress because you're so taught that you know if you don't get into that year then you can't do it at this level and Mm. it's slightly different in the UK but yeah I didn't have the grades I needed to do it at a high level so I just thought but I wasn't bad at it like I was still moderately smart it's just my worst subject and I kind of yeah I didn't even think that was really an option for me because I wasn't there yet so I thought well I can't possibly make up for all this lost time of being slightly worse than everyone else so I won't bother Mm. kind of thing yeah, that's, that's like shitty, <laughs> you know, the school system is shitty in that way. Yeah, I think sort of deep down, I was actually quite curious about business. But again, nobody told me that I could run my own business. That wasn't like in business and business classes, we studied like big businesses and I obviously wasn't going to like start IBM or something. <laughs> so yeah, I think I was on, I think I was subconsciously fascinated by business because I was all side hustling from a young age and stuff, but that wasn't that so many things didn't didn't exist then and you know female entrepreneurship wasn't as available as it is now so yeah I think maybe that would probably be something that I also 
wouldn't have necessarily said because I didn't even know it was an option. And I guess that's the problem. We don't know what it were the options. And I think we wouldn't have known then anyway because the internet isn't what it is now. So No social yeah, media. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, which is probably a good and a bad thing, right? Yeah. So let's dive into your story and how the Broke Generation started. On like a top line, how it came about, I was always pretty crap with money and I just spent all my money. I didn't really think about the future all that much. I just sort of lived in the moment of drinking and going out and being a 20 year old and all that. And then it wasn't until I was sort of 25, 26 that I started really focusing on managing my money, sorting my money out, kind of realizing that the thing is I didn't realize I was doing anything wrong. I didn't realize I was bad with money because I just thought that you just spent it. Like it was, it's pretty strange. I don't really know why I thought that was very naive. Um, and I worked a lot but never really had anything to show for it and I was always a really hard worker or a hustler or whatever but I just never had anything to show for it but I just thought that that was me and that was all there really was for me I didn't think that because I didn't do the high paying jobs like my passions were being creative and being a waitress so I didn't think that I could ever have money or save money or keep money or anything then I remember being asked when our landlord was selling our apartment I remember my boyfriend's dad said to me are you guys thinking of buying it and I was like does he think that I've got 50 grand in the bank and I was like god I think people actually do and that really kind of threw me because I was like god I've got nothing and yeah so I kind of started sorting myself out we did end up buying a, a different apartment several years like two or three years uh, two years later from that conversation but yeah I think it kind of the broke generation came about from that because I was sorting my own journey out and realizing that there wasn't really anything fun out there all the media for women was either really and young people in general was really negative uh, towards money but then at the same time selling us stuff all the time as well so the whole kind of idea behind the broke generation even though it's a money blog it is supposed to align with lifestyle blogs and sort of the things the other media we like to consume in a lifestyle entertainment sense but with money and career and that kind of thing as the undertone weirdly when I say I was bad at science my best subject was always maths and business and finance so it kind of was almost always there as an undertone but I hadn't really realized it because I realized I could sort of as I was on my journey I could understand concepts like tax and property laws and that kind of thing and I was interested in them and I could condense them down into something pretty interesting for people that weren't interested in it generally or didn't process the information in the same way. So again, a lot of those things, I'd done a lot of property and finance writing in the past in my job as a copywriter. So again, it all kind of fell into place and it was kind of staring me in the face when the idea came up. I was like, actually, yeah, I really should do this because this doesn't exist and these are all the reasons why I could do it. But it was one of those things I just took forever and a day to actually realise that was <laughs> what I was supposed to do. Yeah, so you were always in copywriting, so you were waitressing and then doing different side gigs or? Yeah, so I was waitressing from like 15 to 23 in various capacities while sort of trying to build up a writing portfolio on the side, a lot of working for free on online internships late at night and that kind of thing. Yeah, and then I went into copywriting from there and I kind of just, just the jobs I had and the clients I had and the agencies I worked at, I just fell into a lot of finance and property and tax and accounting and that kind of thing because I found it interesting and no one else did and that's kind of led me to where I am now creating sort of content and media for young people in terms of the public with my blog but then also my writing for businesses is for financial services. It's so interesting to me that you mentioned in the beginning that like you fell into that trap but you weren't you were doing so much work but you weren't going for the high paying jobs even though you were in what a lot of people would call the boring industries and mm. you think like I know all the boring industries I've worked in have ended up being the highest paying roles because so many people don't want to go in there so I find that really interesting that do you think that was because do you think I think this is actually yeah I think it's and I think this probably contributed to it because I was perhaps surrounded by high paying industries or you know servicing high paying industries the actual discipline that I am doing as a creative is not well paid so for example in construction project managers and that kind of thing are incredibly well paid but the marketing staff aren't so it was more that I was surrounded by people that were well paid and servicing businesses that had sort of traditionally high-flying 
salaries, but the discipline of copywriting is never well paid, <laughs> particularly. Wow. Yeah, which, which I, I mean, I'm a digital marketer by trade and like that to me makes no sense because copy is everything, right? Like especially yeah. in the world we live in now, but I mean, also that was a while back yeah. as well. And obviously I've been fortunate to perhaps be better paid in some of the more dry jobs I've had doing financial services writing than when I was sort of chasing the barking up the fashion tree, for example. Like, uh, yes, I'll get paid more to write about an accountant than I will about shoes. But generally, they, they don't necessarily correlate to higher salaries because it is still copywriting, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. And so what year, how many years ago did you start The Broke Generation? Uh, almost two, uh, the blog I started two years ago in August 2018 and I wasn't going to do Instagram and one of my friends was like, you have to do Instagram and I was like, oh, Instagram's so hard now, I won't. And then I think I had some ideas for how I would make it visual because obviously it's not, it's not photos. So mm. Instagram back then, Instagram is getting a lot more sort of um, infographic based I suppose now or there's more depth to it than just photography but back then it was like a photography platform essentially and I was like how am I going to make this work I don't I'm a terrible photographer I don't want to take pictures I have nothing to take pictures of how will I make it work and then I thought about trying out these sort of infographic-y tiles or quotes or whatever that related to finance interspersing that with photos of me and putting my face to it and that, so that was in October of 2018 I uh, sorry in September of 2018 I went on to Instagram but the blog was early August 2018 so almost two years <laughs> and that's huge growth for Instagram at this stage because you're at nearly 35k now and yeah, your engagement, to do it at all. <laughs> that's it and your engagement is huge because you can hit those numbers these like you can have those numbers these days and your engagement be quite low um if you built it perhaps a while ago because the algorithm changes so much so I mean how has that journey of growth been for you yeah really I'm still kind of coming to terms with how big it is because it's like something you're nurturing every single day it's sort of it's like looking at yourself in the mirror every day. You change constantly, but you don't notice. And then sometimes when I step back and I'm thinking, like, God, I have 35,000 people nearly that read my stuff. Like, it's, it's amazing. But it's been, I've learned a lot about myself and about the whole sort of brand I'm building and the way to communicate with people. And there's sort of a rule in marketing, I guess, that, that, communicating for behavior change is like the hardest thing like it's it's one thing to sell somebody something but to get people to change their behavior for an intangible benefit is extra difficult so the fact that I've kind of got so many people that are now interested in money and finance and understanding themes that they wouldn't have understood before when people say that whatever they, my ebook or following me has helped them pay off debt or understand their taxes or realize that they were paying too much tax and then tell their employer or just something that they've learned is like it just makes the whole thing worth it because that was the whole point <laughs> originally to try and yeah make the whole media landscape around money just interesting and worth reading about rather than being from a guy in a suit who doesn't understand and is you know talking about how to spend your $100,000 salary and I'm thinking well I earn 55k so <laughs> what am I supposed to do and I think it those kind my kind of um limiting aspect of what was already out there um really did like keep me small in what I thought I could do because I thought that it didn't all didn't apply to me because I didn't earn enough to do any of those things so that was pretty important to me as well making it really accessible to a number of incomes um quite a range of incomes so if you earn quite a bit you know there's more you can do with it but if you don't it doesn't mean you can't do any of it you just just do it on a smaller scale you mentioned just then about how you found out a lot about yourself and you know through this blog and I found a similar thing when I started my podcast I began to like learn and grow and, and learn about myself and also other people because you do get to interact with people in that and you shared a, a post about our career milestones and what we think are really great and what's not and I when I saw that I didn't I thought of the initial part of oh yeah I've done that I've tried ticking boxes or choosing careers because of that but then I thought about the other side of it which is to not want to go for those things or to not make decisions about those things self-discovery and self-development 
are really crucial aspects of that because you need to define what your values are and what your ideas of success are so that you can say no to the shiny objects that everyone goes wow at. so what have you learnt over the years that have allowed you to grow in your career through I guess your your blog journey the gut of that post really kind of says a lot and it's still something that I I feel like I've I really do embrace that now because doing what I do and, you know, writing for financial services and creating media about money, it's not necessarily considered cool. Whereas if I said I was a copywriter for, I don't know, the Kardashians brands or something that just seems so much cooler, but it's not anything that I actually want to do. And I think that you, I think I've learned a lot about how to, not necessarily diminish what I'm doing just because it's not necessarily cool to somebody else. So yeah, quite a lot of the time I would kind of be like, oh, you know, I do copywriting for like, you know, or boring industries, you know, nothing exciting. Whereas now I kind of own that a lot more and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm a copywriter for financial services, insurance, um, you know, business, like hard business themes, uh, super funds and that kind of thing. Because if I'm passionate about it, that's worth way more than someone else's opinion. And um, yeah, you're barking up the trees of all the popular stuff. It's crap pay. It's toxic workplaces. It's not actually that great. I mean, if it's what you want, it is though. This is, I've learned a lot about that as well, about um, sort of what maybe my opinions, I'm saying, oh, you know, other people's society's opinion of what's called, you know, working in fashion or with celebrities or traveling for work is what we see is really cool. But also I've kind of noticed about, I've learned about myself or I might put my assumptions or what I think is worthy or cool or whatever onto what, not necessarily what other people do, but other industries perhaps. So it's important in communication as well, because even though it's my platform and some people would kind of say, well, you know, you can say what you want, but when you are trying to communicate like I said, behavior change or communicate in a way that you want to actually help people. It's not about just saying what you want. You, you have to read what your audience wants and needs and what actually resonates with them and what might alienate them and where you might be wrong. Because there's a lot of, I get this a lot of the time when I might post something like, oh, you know, just to clarify with that last story, I meant da 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 because I hadn't either I hadn't articulated it properly or it was being received in the wrong way. Not even like heavy stuff, just anything I might say might, might have been misunderstood or I might have miscommunicated it. And a lot of the time I'll get messages like, why do you say that? Because you can say what you want. And I'm kind of thinking, I can, but I'm, I don't want to just say what I want. I, I obviously have um, opinions and views and values that I will speak about with conviction and I wouldn't change that to please somebody else. But when you're talking about something as heavy as finances and money if something isn't resonating you need to go back and rethink why it's not um and it's i think that's been a, a hard lesson uh differentiating when people are just disagreeing with you when you're wrong when they're wrong and how to kind of separate that from your emotional attachment to it because when it's something you work so hard on you are emotionally attached and if somebody doesn't like something you do it is like oh mm -hmm. dagger in the heart that you could either just be like well I can say what I want and and power to people that can do that and that's great and depending on what you are communicating a lot of the times that is entirely true especially if it's you know fashion content or whatever if you're putting your style out there then then yeah you're that, that's what you are doing but what I am doing is while I am sharing my story and my way of doing things I am also trying to help people understand these harder themes or help people overcome these barriers to financial confidence or whatever it might be um and so if something doesn't resonate or something is inflammatory it is important i think for me to go back and work out where the error in that messaging was so that it can be re-articulated does that make sense <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah given the themes that you do touch on it's not an easy thing with with the industry and the interesting thing that i find about your work is that it combines personal development with finance mm. because you talk a lot, you share it through your story, which I think is great and allows people to relate as well. But 
think about what you really want. Ask yourself these questions. When I started my podcast and stuff, I found the word self-discovery and personal development, like really wanky terms. And I was like, oh, this stuff is so great. Like, how do I get that out there without sounding like a fucking loser, you know? <laughs> and um, at, at the end of the day, you're trying to educate people and get them to do something at the end of things. How do you find the balance of, of not coming up as you know, a teacher, you know, in, in one way or a preacher in another way and actually educating. It's really hard and not coming across as, as preachy and uh, not coming across as preachy or, again, advisory. I'm, well, for one, I'm legally, legally not allowed to come off as advisory because I'm not a financial advisor. But I think a lot of it is just, it, it's that tone and the just really small uses of certain wording or not making too many sweeping statements even though I'm sure I do um, because nobody can communicate perfectly all the time and even if you did there's such a variety of people you couldn't possibly hit the nail on the head with every single person but I think a lot of it is around that acceptance that everybody has different values and everybody has different levels of privilege and everybody has different access to different things something I have always been conscious of is even though I am trying to make it accessible obviously my content is generally aimed at people who are women who are working in a capacity where they do have some disposable income and that is something that I am I'm conscious of communicating that not everything I suggest or not everything that I do or, or not everything that I recommend is going to be appropriate for everybody so yeah for example a lot of my tips would not be applicable if you are a single mum and you're on Centrelink and you're really struggling to make ends meet my piece about how to afford how to afford a holiday every year or something I mean this is more pre-corona but that stuff is not going to be helpful and I I think there's a lot to be said around communicating in a way that does not insinuate that your suggestion or your uh, approach is the be all and end all because it is not possible for some people and likewise some of my tips are so small that people with bigger incomes it wouldn't be applicable to them either so I think it's like making a range of content and just sort of yeah using my own experience where I can or where it's appropriate but at the same time serving the questions that people are asking me being very self-aware in where my own situation has changed because in the last two years because I practice what I preach my financial situation is substantially better than it was then but obviously that can then be alienating to people so yeah it's a lot of kind of being very self-aware in your communication I think yeah for sure and as you mentioned there you are really open with your situation from from the beginning of of as you mentioned like how how you started and that you weren't you know in this huge high paying job and now you're getting out all of this information not advice information (laughs) (laughs) about about finances because you're making essentially your uncomplicating finances because the assumption is that budgeting and all that stuff has to be super complicated and that's why none none of us want to touch it what what would the small kind of steps because there might be people listening right now that are like I'm fucked like I have no (laughs) like I have no savings my job is even less secure now than it was before do you have any small start off advice that really helped you in the beginning to I think probably get out of that mindset in the beginning yeah I completely relate to that so when I started this I don't know if I was as when I first came on Instagram I don't think I talked about my salary and stuff in the same way because I haven't quite got my groove with the identity of it yet but when I started the broke generation we had not long bought our one bedroom apartment and we earned 85k between us between me and my partner so I was on like 41 or something and he was on like 48 or something like that some including super so slightly different but yeah we weren't we were earning not a lot and that is why I thought obviously pre-buying the property I thought that we just didn't earn enough and we would just have to wait and you know salaries are moving so slowly at the moment we just have to wait till we're older um and to be honest I still sometimes feel like that now when I think about how we're going to live anywhere but this one bedroom apartment (laughs) obviously if we want to have kids we're going to have to move at some point and yeah I just look at house prices and property and versus salaries and I'm just thinking god like we need somewhere that's worth three times this and we're making like 1.1 times what we were earning when we bought this like our salaries haven't moved a whole lot but I think 
that is kind of like the way that we're told that it works because traditionally that was how it worked you you know you bought a home and you had kids and then maybe you bought another one maybe but a lot of people still live in the same house that they first bought it's just not going to have to happen that way and I think that for me not only even though it's important to think big picture I always suggest just going right back to basics and you know where can you shave off five dollars here and there because that was kind of my biggest downfall i thought that only big numbers mattered and it makes sense because we're surrounded by huge big numbers the average house price is eight hundred thousand dollars and the average salary is whatever and you're thinking god i don't anywhere near that like who are these average people <laughs> my partner and i were talking about the average income the other day and we were like well, yeah, it's like 90k or something yeah, isn't it yeah like, yeah <laughs> yeah so i think yeah don't focus too much on the big numbers and also get creative and don't necessarily follow the way that it always was because our parents and our grandparents worked in a fairly similar way in terms of working and buying property and you know you could buy a family home and it was definitely hard for the boomers in inverted commas but it was hard in a different way I'm not saying that it was easy for any of them or any or anything like that but I think for us it's harder in a different way in that we need to start looking at different ways to own property. So we, our entry level property may not be a three bedroom house where we can still commute to our job in the city. Or if we do, it's gonna be a bloody long commute. <laughs> and that's not very nice. Whereas what sort of we're thinking about doing is possibly investing in, so rather than buying one three bedroom property and that being our family home, we may buy another one bedroom or something and then rent a family home so that we have a similar level of assets but we've got a lot longer to get them so if we want to have kids in say five years or something we may not be able to at that point buy a family home that's worth over a million dollars but we might be able to gradually buy smaller property smaller property smaller property so that the amount is essentially the same and you have the same level of assets in the virtual commas again but but it's not the traditional way of doing it and whether that will come to fruition or not I don't know but I definitely feel better about the fact that there's different ways of doing things now for example we have micro investing like investing wasn't an option for women uh, or anybody really unless you had substantial amounts of money until very recently so yeah you might not get that salary growth that you used to get but you might be able to invest your money and then we obviously have superannuation now so we're all investors without really realizing it for a lot of people so yeah you might be able to do get the same lifestyle or the same outcome just with a different route and getting creative with different ways to do that you know we can get multiple income streams now because we can have side hustles and different types of jobs and you can sell things on the side even if it's just like your old stuff or whatever there's so many ways that you can actually access income now that I feel like that makes me feel a bit better about how bleak it seems <laughs> because there is even though there's less opportunities in some ways because everything's a lot harder there are also more opportunities in other ways because there's so many more uh, possibilities for work and income and and however you own property or you might rent property or whatever it is you want to do that helps me when I'm feeling like there's a dead end for sure yeah for sure I I think the the interesting thing that you talk about the the side hustle stuff and and you're you've always been a side hustler in, in one way or another it sounds like you've never had just one job right you've always had multiple yeah, different no, jobs yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. which I love and, and I've always been the same but I wonder like have you ever been fully freelance have you ever been fully side hustle or or have you always had some kind of reoccurring work all the time I, I did have a period of time when I was entirely self-employed I suppose mm. um when I first came to Australia because I couldn't get a job yeah um pretty difficult to get a job when you first get to Australia so I was sort of contracting but it wasn't ever it was a very I think that year I, I found the tax return from that year actually the other day I was clearing out my drawers and I that year I think I earned thirty thousand dollars all year so like it was really bootstrapped like it wasn't running a business by any means like mm. it was just taking any kind of work I could get a lot of it was like very poorly paid contract work with like comms agencies and stuff that would be mm. like a pretty poor daily rate or whatever that again it was sort of recurring but it wasn't the stability of a job so 
I kind of have it from like a tax perspective. Yes, I was self-employed, but never really fully owning it and being like, yeah, I'm a freelancer. It was like, I'm literally scraping by until I can get a job that's going to pay me something more than 30k a year so yeah. yeah but the reason I ask is because I think like the the side hustle culture can be assumed in that like to to have a side hustle it needs to be like a business that you're growing or it needs to be like this huge thing when really it can just be odd jobs you can have regular job which is what the majority of of your career has been right you've had some capacity of I don't know, employment or part-time employment or whatever it is. And you've started to build and grow something on the outside, which mm. has clearly begun to pay off a lot because now you're, you're seeing, I guess, the fruits of your labor, right? And you <laughs> yeah. can probably see the potential of what you can create with the broke generation and all of that kind of stuff. I wonder like, because it's, it's something that I've really tossed up with recently of sometimes a nine to five can get a bad rep. You know, people think like, oh, I'm stuck in the nine to five or whatever, but a stable income, I think for our generation in particular, but a stable income in some capacity when you're in the right kind of environment can be really great. So what has your experience been with working environments and finding a nice balance to a a place that I guess helps facilitate both of your lives or careers, right? The side hustle life and also balancing actually working for someone else so you can make sure you've got that steady income to pay your mortgage or whatever it is. Yeah. So I have, even though I have a few sort of toxic scarring (laughs) work experiences under my belt, I've been fortunate in that I've worked in an industry and in a time where things can be done very virtually. So I've, for some years, I've had the flexibility to work from home and stuff like that, which has its challenges as we're all learning. But I've had both of my sort of more recent employers have been very understanding and okay with the fact that I have things going on on the side obviously you have to be very careful of conflicts of interest um i.e if your side hustle is in the same industry or category as your main job there might be certain things that you can't do because your priority has to be your responsibility to your employer a lot of it will be in your contract but yeah for example at the moment when I work for an agency where a client is a financial institution so I can't freelance to another financial institution that kind of thing but no overall balancing the two I mean don't get me wrong again this is something that I have to be careful with in my communication that I to run a side hustle successfully or sensibly I suppose without damaging your health you have to be afforded a job that is accommodating of that or can be worked around that I'm not saying that if you're a lawyer and you work nine till nine you should then be hustling when you get home because that's probably not wise I really do think that the perfect setup is having a solid income from an employer whether that's part-time or full-time and then having something on the side because I often talk about side hustles in this way that it doesn't need to be something that you are actually doing right now you don't need to be working on it you know late nights early mornings to be honest I don't do a whole lot of late nights and early mornings because I plan my time efficiently um but it doesn't need to be something that you are growing or something that you are using to seg out of your nine to five you might want to or your whatever it is maybe you're a nurse and you work shifts or whatever your job is a side hustle is so commonly known as like oh how's your side hustle going are you quitting your job yet and it's kind of like you don't what do you, I never said I was going to quit my job. What are you talking about? Um, whereas I, a side hustle could be something that you have made zero dollars from for the last three months, but it's something that you could pick up if you had to, if, you know, the world shits itself and we have coronavirus. I feel like that's the perfect balance because it gives you the superannuation, the sick pay, the holiday pay, all the perks of having a job, but then it also gives you that freedom to ramp it up if you need extra money or scale back if you're if you're you know need some time out or if you've got something on the side that's yours and you have the security of a job um I feel like that is the when if it's possible for you I feel like that is the ideal setup because you get literally the the best of all the worlds (laughs) because you have control and you can kind of like pull that lever if you need extra income or you can go more hands-off and pick it up later so I often talk about talk to people about readying themselves for income earning activities whether they don't whether they want to side hustle or not 
having some kind of like backup plan, I guess, for if your income got cut tomorrow, which is kind of more relevant than ever right now. Because yeah, there's anything can happen. It could be something that happens at your job, your business could shut down, or you know, you could break your leg and be unable to go to work if you work on your feet. So having something that you can pick up, I think is like so beneficial. I recommend it to everybody. It's frustrating. I wish there was another word for it that wasn't side hustle because it makes it sound so toxic and so icky and so kind of like always pushing for growth and stuff, but you don't have to be. Like my copywriting side hustle for three years in a row, two years in a row was, I literally made like eight grand extra on the side of my job. And I didn't grow and I was like, was like scurrying to my accountant like, no, I didn't grow my business because I wasn't trying to grow my business. I was just earning a bit of extra money because I want to go home to the UK every year and I want to, I don't know, join a fancy gym, I think was my thing at the time. Like it was just some extra money. It wasn't a case of growing a business to eventually leave my job. It was just something that worked in harmony with my lifestyle. The reason I say that is because one of the things that I, I try and get across with the podcast is like you get to choose, right? Just like when, and I think the nice marriage between the content you have is like career mixed with finance. And just as we're encouraged to diversify our finances and our portfolios and all of that stuff, I think it's really important to do the same with your career, essentially. Like if you have these skill sets, why not utilize them in different ways? If you choose, I think that's the key point there. There's some people that would be happy in fully nine to five. And there are some people that are happy starting their own thing or working freelance and hustling all, all the time. And I think that's okay too. But the reason I say it is because when I went away and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, the thing that kept popping into my head was my ideal life would be working part-time with a business that's okay and then having one two days a week to do my own thing and if that ever turned into anything else that's fine but it allows for the slow growth and it allows for no pressure on you and that's the problem that I have with side hustles and what I classify as millennial businesses is the fact that we have this pressure to to go now, go now, go now. You want to be the next Airbnb. You want to be the next Uber. You want to be the next, all of these things. But if you've got something steady that's happening, it allows you to build those foundations and put in the effort so much better and what I would say more ethically, right? Um, so that you can actually provide people with something of value, but also like look at the long-term growth. And I'm sure in the next couple of years, like you're going to see like double, triple of what you're having now from your side hustle because it's that long growth. And we see that in so many places that they don't make anything for ages. And then suddenly they just hit and things just start happening with whether it's business or it's a following or whatever, you know? So I think, yeah, I, I don't know. Does that, is that something that you enjoy about having that steady income? Yeah, it really is. And it, it also affords you the ability to design a side hustle or a, whatever you want to call it, business or a side activity that is really aligned with what you want. Because, yeah, there is like some of the jobs I took that year that I earned 30K when I was just trying to get by, like, you don't, you end up taking things because we are conditioned as humans to be incredibly risk averse, risk averse sorry. It's, I mean, even now I am still struggling with it, but I'm getting better. It's very difficult to say no to an income earning opportunity because we're conditioned to be like, what if I say no and then I never earn a dollar ever again? I wish I'd taken that job, you know, writing copy for lawn mowing company or whatever it was. So especially now that I'm niche down into financial services, even then it's it, I, when someone comes and says, hey, you know, can you write some copy for my candle business or something? I'm a bit like, Ugh not it's not really aligned with what I want whereas if I was freelancing full-time I probably would be like mm. I better take it because you know it's it's work why not there is definitely something to be said about doing especially early on in your side hustle uh taking what you can because it's not necessarily just that job it's what that might lead to but I think that comes back to what we were saying about getting to know yourself and you have experience after a while of what is and isn't worth your time and your energy and what isn't isn't aligned with what you're actually trying to build and I think that having that secure income on the side from some form of employment whether it's two days a week at Woolies or it's a nine-to-five as a lawyer it just if your bills are paid then your side hustle can fully serve you 
for what you actually want and serve your whoever your customer or client is in the most authentic way because you're not doing it with this sort of undertone of trying to scrape by which i think inevitably means better outcomes for everybody yeah because it comes back to that like money mindset thing which is something that you always talk about a lot is yeah. like you know you're thinking of of what your position is and the doom and gloom of like your, your future versus like being optimistic as this is the start of something that, that is going to blossom. So how is that self-confidence? Like as you've grown, how has that self-confidence come? Cause you mentioned that you had a dream kind of job offer, what people would say is a dream job offer that you ended up declining. That's, I think this is back to that post that I mentioned earlier about working with celebrities, having overseas trips and all of that kind of stuff. And then deciding like, oh, well, maybe those things aren't for me or like the classic ping pong table in the office, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, how has that been for you? Like figuring out, okay, like, uh, yeah, going for jobs or having jobs approach you and deciding on, on what you want and don't want from that self-confidence and growth. It's a difficult one because it comes back to that example of being offered a freelance job that isn't what you want or being offered a something in your side hustle that isn't really what you want. But if it's your whole job, you've got to take it. Yeah. Um, I and I feel like a lot of the decision making for that position I was offered at my old job, um, it was essentially a, a senior management position um, that didn't really exist yet, but it was sort of going to grow with the company and it was a sort of five term, five year long plan um, that would have eventually meant a tasty salary that I just wouldn't really see in my industry, um, which was something that really impacted the decision because there's it's not only the decision now, but you sort of, your mind jumps ahead and you think sort of, oh, well, what if I regret this? Or what if I, what if I wish I had taken it? Or what if I turn it down and I'll never get this opportunity ever again? Or a lot, I think a lot of women have it when they want to have children. Um, they sort of think they might get an opportunity to come along when they're maybe starting to think about maternity leave and stuff when they kind of feel bad think, oh, what if I take it and I, then I want to go and have a baby and, it's that risk aversion again but I always try and weigh up what I'd regret more doing it or not doing it and that kind of helps me a lot because yeah a lot of the time it's a case of well you might as well you know often it's a promotion and thinking about maternity leave and in that case I would say go for it because you're only really thinking you're, you're kind of self-sabotaging a bit because you're sort of thinking well I won't take it because I won't, you know, I might disappoint someone and I might want to have, I might want to go on maternity leave. But I mean, likewise, you, you still can. You don't owe anyone, <laughs> you don't owe anybody a two year warning that you're going to go on maternity leave. Um, but then at the same time, in my situation, it would have meant sacrificing, growing my side hustles, doing other things, going back to the UK for an extended period of time. Uh, and I, I weighed up that that had that of, of doing it I would regret doing it more than I would regret not doing it so I ended up turning it down but I really think yeah weighing up that sort of looking to the future but not in too much of a catastrophizy way um don't think about the worst case scenario think about the best case scenario as well and think you know what if this worked out is it because often your mind can think oh, I won't take it because it won't work out or it won't be right but think what if it is right what if everything goes right is it what you want then? Mm. Um, and yeah, for me, the answer was no. But for a lot of people, it would have been yes. And a lot of people thought I was crazy. <laughs> I didn't tell that many people about it, but people I did tell, a lot of them thought I was crazy because you are just sort of taught that you, especially women, that you must, well, actually, no, probably men as well, actually, that you must be passive and you must wait for opportunities to come. And when they come, you must take them. And otherwise, that's it. And you won't get them again. And in some ways it's true and you've got to embrace things and seize the day and all that, but not always. Um, and I think being quite serendipitous with each opportunity as it comes, you don't have to say, I will take everything or I will say no to everything. It's really processing each thing as an individual fork in your journey, I suppose. Yeah. It, it, I recently got a 
job during the pandemic, which everyone's like, oh my God, like you, you, people don't get jobs during the pandemic, even though I recently put out a survey and 21% had gotten a job during pandemic, 19% had lost a job during pandemic. So interesting oh, for us youngsters. Trends. Yeah. yeah. So for, for us, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in different areas and a lot of businesses that are thriving. So I don't want to shit on the businesses that are losing stuff because there's obviously a lot of people impacted, but we have to have like that there is growth opportunity anyway. So what I meant to say was I got a job, amazing job, like six figures in a pandemic, which is really great. You're supposed to feel lucky about it. And it was a, it just wasn't an environment for me, you know, values didn't align, lots of things that didn't sit well with me. So I decided to leave and it had, it had been so hard for me to, grabble with that because everyone was like what the fuck you know and you sit on all of those things like that's the dream for so many people that's the success that's all of our stuff and I was like but it wasn't like again I saw it take a toll on the other stuff that I know that I'm looking to grow and all this stuff I would rather make 40k a year pick up other mm-hmm. things in other places and grow something long term than serve my way in this place where I would work from 7am till 7pm and it actually doesn't add up and I think it's something although I had learned early on in my career that the good signs of what is successful aren't right I still fell into the trap and so it's not to say that we don't continue to fall into these traps it's saying like okay well if you have it's okay to remove yourself as well and you know and like yeah. you passed up on the opportunity before and I even though I probably felt in my gut that it was wrong anyway you still get into that mindset of like oh shit like I should be lucky that I have this or I should and yeah. that's where the millennial crisis started of those privileged problems that end up causing you that mental health toll that takes over the rest of your life and then you're fucked for five years of your life flash by and you're like, what happened? Yeah, it comes to the, it comes back to the active passive thing of that when you say, oh, I'd rather be on 40K and pick up other things, that suggests that you have uh, an element of confidence that you would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a very passive person or if you approach the, the offer or the situation very passively, it's kind of like a, I can either be given this six-figure job and I can be given this set of circumstances or I can be get, or I can be given this set of circumstances if I don't take it. Whereas I think factoring in your own ability to take action, you can be given this set of circumstances and this job that isn't right for you or you can take action and create a different reality for yourself. And I think, yeah, having that confidence that you can and, and nurturing that confidence as well by actually doing things that you can sort of fix it it's not you're not necessarily a product of what's been offered to you you can make changes for sure for sure and and that self growing that self-confidence is so important it doesn't come overnight but it's it's something that you need to and which is something that you talk about a lot have you found that you've you've been forced to keep yourself accountable a lot more because now you share your stories a lot like you you feel like you have to practice what you preach even more because you're like holy shit like I can't say this to people if I'm not doing it <laughs> do you, do you yeah. feel that <laughs> yeah I think that was actually maybe my train of thought that I lost before that I think that's what I was going to say that when you are showing up online and when people look to you as a source of truth or a source of advice in very important inverted commas yeah you do have a responsibility to act in an authentic way and you know whether that is doing what you say to other people or being upfront that you don't do that but this is your suggestion or it's kind of practice what you preach in sort of a holistic rounded sense that you you need to be the person that you say you are you're putting yourself out there and it's that balance of being authentic and being yourself and acting in a in the way that sort of communicates what you're trying to put out there but yet also just being yourself and accepting that you don't know everything especially in my position where I'm not an advisor I'm not this and I'm not that yeah I can I'll say to people a lot of the time like this is what I would do I don't do that I wish I did that but this is what I would do or when people are like hey I'm a student do you have any money advice and I'm like I can tell you what I would have done I definitely did not do this when I was at uni <laughs> but do you know what I mean sort of yeah again it's that self ooh, it's that self-awareness and knowing yourself and knowing 
that you don't have to lie and say that you do all these things if you don't just ex sort of being quite content with your identity in its truest form and then the things that come with that don't necessarily need to be things that you are actually doing but you knowing what you can offer value in you don't you don't have to be the value yourself you can mm. offer the value in what you're saying and, and doing as well makes total sense and it's some, the reason I ask is because something that I've found myself now I'm like okay well if I want to say this if I want to share this kind of information every decision I've like I need to make sure that I'm doing that and, and it's really enabled to help me like be more confident in like I said that decision that I made a couple of months ago or other things because it's like no 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 you can't share advice that you're not taking yourself now we're getting towards the end now I have three questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of each episode and then we'll also get into the challenge as well because you've got something that you have for everyone don't you yeah so the first question I have for you is what was the first small step you took to get to where you are today? I would say that I started to sort of embody. So when I was a very young budding writer who had never been paid to write a single cent in, never been paid a single cent to write a word in my life, I just still started embodying the fact that I was a writer. So I would say like, oh, I'm, I'm a writer because it wasn't a lie I was writing I just hadn't been professionally paid to yet but I was contributing to websites and all this stuff and so I suppose that action maybe just start doing the thing whatever it is obviously if you want to be a heart surgeon don't start doing heart surgery on people but you know do align yourself with the people that do it put your put yourself in the position where you're most available to all the opportunities that you need to come your way so yeah for me that was just writing anywhere and everywhere even if it was in a word document that I would eventually be able to send to somebody if they asked for examples of my work um it was telling people that I was a writer or that I was a aspiring writer or like actually embodying that position that I wanted rather than being like oh you know I'm trying this thing like just say that you are it because you will be and you are if you are doing in any part any of those things that are getting you in the right direction to go there yeah just embody it before you're there <laughs> would be my main suggestion I love that the next one I have is what is your biggest millennial crisis right now and I define a millennial crisis as a privileged problem that consciously or subconsciously affects your mental health or well-being <laughs> my biggest millennial crisis right now this is so inflammatory but so as you say the dream of yours would be to work part-time and run your own business part-time I'm now doing that yeah in some ways it it's great and I love it but and it's only been like not even a month of doing it but in some ways I do forget what a privilege that is and how rare the opportunity is and sometimes I do think, oh, I wish I did, you know, all the job or all the business. And, and yeah, I, it's just a kind of, it's just a mindset thing because I do literally half my week in one block is employment and the other half in another block is, is side hustling and running my business and freelancing and that kind of thing. And when I'm doing that, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I had more time to do this all the time. And then sometimes when it's going well at work, I'm like, oh, I wish I was just doing this all the time. And yeah, it's just a classic, classic millennial crisis because I finally got what I want. And even then I'm like, it's not good not it's not good enough but do you know what I mean I'm yeah. still trying to just tweak it a little bit and yeah we're never fully satisfied that way yeah. no, I, <laughs> I love it and the last question I have for you is what is one thing you are still curious about or want to explore mm, still curious about I'm this like directly relates to what I do, but something I am very curious about is the psychological aspect of finance and how every, I think a lot of the time we're split into men and women, millennials and boomers and that kind of thing. But I feel like every single person's money experience is so multifaceted. And I recently did a a blog post on how I think that growing up with divorced parents impacted my money mindset and I think that being an only child impacts the way I am with money I think that being very driven impacts the way I am with money I think there's just so many different things and so many of my friends have different approaches to career and money and I'm so curious about how that all kind of like intersects with personality types and privileges and upbringings and 
yeah, I would love to dig into that. <laughs> Probably need a degree, but <laughs> maybe I'll get to that another time. <laughs> I love that. That's that's really cool and super interesting. Yeah, you have a challenge to set for everyone this week. I know you I have do. like multiple in mind, but <laughs> just one for this week. <laughs> I think it's not going to be the one you're expecting. It was actually one that I shared in my recent newsletter, and I got pretty good response from people saying that they were doing it too. So I think this awesome. will be quite applicable. So it kind of ties into my fascination with the self and things like that. But I've been reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah, cool. And oh, it's just, it's so great. But good, isn't sort of, it? It's so good. It's not one of his tips specifically, but kind of a thing that I adapted from reading his work. Um, is something I've been doing in the last couple of weeks. Is uh, so I made, <laughs> I made sort of like a collage, a bit like a vision board, but of just myself, and sort of like a there's writing around it, and it's like me, and it's this sort of like character of the best version of me. So it's not like all these things that I wish I could become. It's sort of like enhancing things that I already am. And I made it on Canva and I put it all head on on the body and everything. And then, so now whenever I'm making a decision, I think about what she would do. So it's like an out of body decision making thing. So it's really good for money. Like if you're going to buy something, would she buy that? Or if, if she was buying this, would she buy this? Or is it, and it's, it's great because it, um, it's not sort of like a tough love, like, would she buy this? No. Would she eat this? No. Like sometimes she's, she is, I mean, this is my character, but she is a very rounded person. She is a foodie, but she doesn't, you know, indulge herself to the point she feels ill. So when it's food things, it might be, yes, sometimes she would eat a piece of cake because it's a beautiful piece of cake and she's taking a break for morning tea. Whereas, and buying things, maybe sometimes, yeah, she would buy this, you know, moisturizer because she looks after her skin and her health and her well-being. But then would she buy this thing that she doesn't need? No. And it really helps me delay the decision and also yeah not it helps me think more big picture rather than just in the moment and uh, several people said that they had been doing it this week as well and they were like it's game changing (laughs) because yeah it just like makes you think is am I gonna want this or do this or is this gonna serve me in six months 12 months two years whatever and yes game changer (laughs) wow I really love that and I'm like already thinking like when can I do this (laughs) because I usually do it the week the podcast get released and now I'm like oh my god I want to do this from now (laughs) I love that that's really cool awesome okay well thank you so much for coming on is there anything you really want the audience to know as a as a kind of parting message is there something that it really helps you or sticks with you that that you want people to remember yeah kind of I guess that and this is still I've actually got a post going up this like this weekend about this but I think that whatever it is that you're doing I think that we think that it's like a start do end process um particularly with money it's like start save for holiday go on holiday done whereas I think thinking about things as a much longer journey and that best self comes into it a lot with that I think just kind of not racing to the finish line all the time or whatever it is because it's like a huge lifelong journey and it just needs to become something that is part of the way that is part of your sort of self-identity I guess whether it's rushing to be the absolute best in your side hustle or to save the most money or whatever it's not there isn't an end goal I guess and I think being quite comfortable with that is there's no end point in this sort of like journey of adulting I think is quite freeing because it kind of takes the deadline away and it's just like really small things each day that like embody that sort of not end goal but the next stage of your journey I suppose I feel like that's been quite freeing for me recently I love that. That's awesome. And for anyone that wants to follow Emma, her Instagram and blog will be linked in the show notes, but it is The Broke Generation, right? Even the website is The Broke Generation. Yeah, the website yeah. is thebrokegeneration.com and Instagram is the dot broke generation because frustratingly someone who doesn't even use the handle. No. It, so I can't get it. That's the I, worst. I, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm excited for everyone to listen to this. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Millennial Crisis Podcast. If you made it this far, you're probably going to want to give me a rating. 
Honestly, though, if you did like it, I would appreciate it so much if you shared this with a friend or shared a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. It just helps me continue to get incredible guests on the podcast. And before you go, if you've never joined our Millennial Conversations virtual events, I highly recommend joining. It's a bunch of like-minded millennials that discuss relevant topics that apply to us. And it's just an awesome way to connect with people that think exactly like you. I've so I have enjoyed running them so much and I have met so many incredible people through them. So I highly recommend joining. If you have any questions, you can always DM me on Instagram at Demi Kotsoris or at The Millennial Crisis. But for more info on that, check out the show notes or jump on the website and check it out there. Thanks again for listening and I will chat to you next week. Bye.